Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those who are called by God to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're teaching warriors to fight for the human heart because only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Welcome everyone to Season 2 of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. In this season, we're moving on from the philosophical foundations of spiritual coaching that we covered in season one to discuss the spiritual coaches themselves. Be sure to go back and make certain you didn't miss an episode of season one because what is coming is based on what has already been. This today is the final episode in this short season of eight episodes on the heart of the leader and spiritual coach. Every episode in this second season was recorded live instead of in the studio. The first seven were captured at a summer spiritual retreat that I led for our church leadership. This eighth and final episode was a message that I delivered at our church on a Sunday morning about a year ago. Being live, and originally it was posted as a video, you will need to exercise some degree of imagination as you listen. I have two props on stage, a baseball bat and a golf club. Uh, why I, I have those will become um, apparent as you listen. Obviously, you're going to have to imagine those as well as forgive the edits that feel abrupt and the volume that occasionally dips a little low. To connect with me or any of my uh, other content, you just need to search for Pastor Carey or the Spiritual Coaching Podcast wherever you consume your social media. Remember to like and follow and rate and share so others can find us and the content that you have found helpful. There's a reason that I do what I do. All this effort is because only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. If I can help you reach out to God and for, for healing and health and wholeness, well, both you and your circle, that's going to lead you to, to honor God and, and it's going to bring personal benefit to your life. And then others will be drawn to the God who has drawn you. Now to uh, today's talk titled, You Can't Analyze Your Own Swing. good at sports trivia? No? But well, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I just got one question. Does anybody here know who Gary Denbo is? Gary Denbo. Anybody? Don't say it. Just raise your hand if you know who the dude is. I don't see any hands. Alright, so uh, let me ask another question. Does anybody know who Derek Jeter is? Alright, not, not only do there's their hands, but there's, there's responses as well. In 2011, uh, Derek Jeter had a really slow start to his season. In April, the first month of the season, he only batted 242. And by June, he was only up to 260. And he got a hip, a strange, uh, he strained his hip in the middle of June, and he went on the disabled list. Fifteen days later, when Jeter came back from his 15-day uh, break, the dude was batting 326 for the 64 games that were left in the season. Jeter credited a guy by the name of Gary Dembo, his batting coach, with a significant turnaround from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Anybody here heard of a guy named Sam Snead? Yeah. Yeah. He, for, he spent uh, probably four decades as one of the world's, one of America's greatest golfers. In those four decades, the guy amassed 82 tour wins, including seven PGA 
tournaments. He was also a golfing coach. In 2000, Slamming Sammy was uh, considered, he was uh, voted the third most famous golfer of all times, only behind the Golden Bear, Jack Nicholas, and the Hawk, Ben Hogan. Here's one of the things that, uh, here's one of Sammy Sneed's uh, golfing tidbits, bits of advice. He said, don't analyze your own swing. The chances are you can't do it properly. Have a pro. I'm guessing that Derek Jeter could have said the same thing when he came back, having spent 15 days with a batting coach, and came back and raised his batting average almost 100 points. Probably could have said the same thing. I just have one simple idea I want you to grasp with me this morning. The idea that you can't analyze your own swing applies to life as well as athletics. The idea that you can't analyze your own swing applies to life as well as athletics. I'm going to explain that a little bit more, but um, let me kind of set the, leave it hanging and set the table a little bit more for you this morning. The year was 1974, and I was 12. I was a troubled, rebellious handful for my mom. All of my confusion and, and pain, it came out as anger. A few years before that, I had wanted a hula hoop that one of my sisters had. Anybody remember a hula hoop? I got the hips for hula hoop. I, I can never get that thing to go around once. If I push it real hard and spin it, it'd go around. That was about it. Any, any hula hoop masters in here? Nobody. Does anybody not know what a hula hoop is? Oh, all right, all right. I was, I was worried there for a minute. I was so angry, I wanted that hula hoop so bad, I, I reached out and I kicked my sister in the hand, her hand swelled up so bad, they had to cut a ring off her hand. Not one of my finer moments. <laughs> that year, I tried to run away from home. Didn't go so well, so I was sent as a punishment to live with my dad and my stepfamily. Step that winter, the anger surfaced again, and I punched a girl in the face in that the tooth out. Not one of my fire moments. Christmas in 1980, I heard almost as clearly as I hear my voice now. I heard God say to me, I want to put you into full-time ministry. Called me to the pastoral ministry and I Went to my pastor's office, I got on the floor, and I prayed for my pastor. <clears throat> and I gave my life to whatever he wanted me to do with it. I went to Bible school, met my beautiful bride, Nancy. We were married in 1984, and, you know, in my teen years, I had kind of done a better job at covering over the anger. I had it better in check when I was a teenager. But let me tell you what, being married pushed my internal issues to the surface. And I'm going to tell you, I was still angry. And I was lost. Not because I had issues, but because I had no idea what my problem was. And I had no idea how to fix it. I was stuck and I was stuck. Good. 1989, God sent me a coach to analyze my swing. Here's what happened. He used his experience and his gifts and his passions and he analyzed my swing. He noticed the problem spots and he helped me correct my swing. He saw things I could never see. He offered solutions I had never heard of. And he gave me hope I'd never had before. 
Hope Fong only not. I've been popping up and hitting foul balls and grounding out for decades. But with some coaching from someone who'd been there themselves, who sort of reintroduced me to the guy that I knew but just didn't know very well. Introduced me to the God who, who heals hurts and wounds wounds and heals wounds and, and, and removes our baggage. You know, I had a wealth of knowledge. I was a Bible school student, remember? I had a four-year Bible degree. I had a lot of knowledge about God, but I didn't have a single idea what to do. I had a lot of pet answers. None of them worked. Without that coaching that I got, I was going to be stuck for a really long time. On your response card, you'll see a bunch of responses that you can choose. My job this morning is to teach you what the I will attend counseling thing. A little bit, just a little introduction about what that might be about. Um, we used on the card, we used the word I will attend counseling because most people know what counseling means. There's a couple problems with that. One is counseling also carries uh, some negative connotations with it. Um, it, it just doesn't always have a real positive feel to it. Um, and I like to talk about a, an idea called spiritual coaching. I like to call it spiritual coaching because I think that's a little bit easier for us to wrap our hands around and to, and to appreciate. But when I say that you can't analyze your own swing, I mean that we don't have a necessary perspective to observe and diagnose and correct and improve ourselves. In fact, scientists tell us that the very act of observing Tanks the results. Anybody watch Mythbusters out there? The, myth, the Mythbusters tell you the same thing. The Mythbusters are always saying, look, the very act of trying to analyze your swing, you have equipment that's there to try to, to photograph what's happening in the interaction between objects, and, and the very act of trying to analyze your own swing, it screws up the results. So any of you here have ever tried to analyze your own swing? Watch what happens. Okay, you stop your swing. Everybody knows what happened when I looked at it? Yeah, the elbow broke, but let's not go there. <laughs> you look at it, what happened? You change your swing. Here's something else I want you to see. How much of my swing can I see? Almost nothing. I cannot see. Now, some of you bright people out there say, dude, you're old. You know what a hula hoop is. You forgot about video. Why don't you just have someone record your swing? And here's why. Most, most athletes still need help with the analysis to discover what they're doing wrong and how to make changes. I think there's a couple reasons why that. First is all, first, one, one of the real reasons is that um, we don't have the adequate understanding of the mechanics of a good swing. If you don't, all, don't understand what a good swing looks like, how do you fix it? I might be able to watch it on video, but I'm going, yeah, it looks good to me. Oh yeah, broke my elbow, than usual. <laughs> So I keep my elbows right next time, I'm still slicing. What's going on there? You have to know what to look for. You have to know what to fix first and what to fix second. And you have to know how to teach it to somebody else. You have to know how to teach it to yourself. I think the other reason why you can't really analyze your own swing is because we all have blind spots because we're biased. You know, you all have biases. You know, if I'm going to analyze my swing, they go, well, there's nothing wrong with my stance. My, my stance is fine. So, uh, am I going to look at my stance? No, because it's fine. I never have a problem with my stance. That's not my problem. I never drop my, I never break my elbow. That's not my problem. Life isn't much different. Either we don't have the expertise to coach ourselves, or we have blinders that keep us from seeing the truth. 
Many like myself have spent hours on a driving range or in a batting cage. Anybody, ever, anybody done that? On the driving range in the batting, batting cage? You know what you do when you do that without coaching? You practice your slice. You get dang good at hitting that curve, man. I, mean, I just get a little banana ball. I'm four, four fairways over because I practice it at the driving range. We create memory muscle that remembers the slice, that remembers how to pop up. Unless you, unless you have perspective and knowledge, we will practice our mistakes. I'd like to have a dollar for every one of those stupid little white spears I've tried to get straight. We perfect our brokenness and our dysfunction, making it even harder to change. And here's what Proverbs has to say on the subject. Proverbs 19:20 says, Get all the advice and instruction you can, and you will be wise the rest of your life. Think about that for a minute. It didn't just say that you'd have enough wisdom to hit the ball straight once. You get a little coaching, you get a little advice, you get a little instruction, and that instruction is going to serve you well for life. Even the wise and the experienced and the mature still seek coaching in life. And by it grow wiser still. Men and women who excel rely on the power of coaching. Men and women who excel rely on the power of coaching. Take a short break to give your brain a rest. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carey to offer feedback, to suggest topics for future episodes, or to ask a question, there are a few easy ways to do that. You can message him on Twitter. Just search for at TRCSCP. That's an at sign followed by the letters TRCSCP. If you prefer Facebook Messenger, you can search for at PK Spiritual Coaching. That's at PK Spiritual Coaching. Or you can simply email him at carry at tworivers.church. As you might expect, we'd appreciate it if you'd rate us on iTunes and like and share the podcast as well as our Twitter and Facebook pages so that other church leaders and spiritual coaches can find this helpful content. All right, let's return now to our current episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. take a little time because I want to take you into a really cool biblical story. I want to take you into a story that I think will help you um, really grasp the power of spiritual coaching. We're going to take a step back ourselves and we're going to do a little analysis ourselves about a guy and his life and what just went wrong. I'm going to take you back in time across cultures to a day and place very much unlike our own, but to a temptation that should be really easy for you to relate with. So King David is, uh, yeah, he's king. And um, in the spring of one year when um, it's time for the armies to go back out into battle, uh, David sends his, his armies out to battle on a campaign that probably wasn't important enough to warrant his um, presence in the campaign. And he does the cultural thing at the midday. He went, he went and took a nap in the heat of the day. And as the day got a little cooler, he went up on the palace of the roof. And he was taking a walk in the cool of the day, trying to cool down a little bit. And he had a marvelous perspective. He, his advantage from the top of the, of, the, of, the, um, of the palace was amazing. Let me tell you what he saw. Saw a hot babe taking a bath. 
Her name, hot pan taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. Sheba was taking a bath. So he sees Bathsheba. Now up to this point, nothing bad's happened. It's all good, it's all cool. And everything after this point is really not good. What David does is he goes and he gets one of his tents to come. He says, go find out who she is. And he finds out, sure enough, that she's married. That doesn't matter. David sends for her, seduces her, sleeps with her, and gets her pregnant. After hatching a plan to cover up his indiscretion, a plan that doesn't work real good because her husband Uriah was a man of integrity, David sees to it that Uriah is killed in battle. After the appropriate mourning period, David brings Bathsheba into the palace, marries her, and they have a child together. The whole sordid affair can be read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, which closes with these words. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. The Lord was displeased with what David had done. And a year later, David is still stuck. If you read the account there, you find the baby was born. It was a good nine months later. I'm just going to say a year, round it off. A year later, David is still stuck. Not because he didn't know he displeased God. I don't really think that was David's problem. There is reason to believe if you read Psalm 32. I challenge you to write down your notes. I encourage you to write down Psalm 32 and read about um, a, a, a song that I think probably relates to what David was going through in this period of time. And if that is a, a, a commentary on this unrepentant year in David's life, you will find out that David was not only miserable, but he was wasting away physically. And the question I have for you is if he knew he'd sinned and he was miserable, why didn't he repent? If he didn't sin and he was miserable, why didn't David repent? Why did he put himself through month after month of agony? And I'm going to let you down by telling you I had no idea. Why does anybody choose denial and misery over confession in here? Here's what I do know. I know what it took to get David unstuck. I can tell you what it took to take this man who had this thing in his life. He's stuck. He's still living this. He's not repenting. He's not moving forward. He's stuck in his moment in time. What does it take for David to wake up, smell the coffee, and get on with life? And, and it's just too cool a story just to tell you. Uh, feel free to open up your uh, electronic devices, open up your physical Bible. If you have it, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Chapter 11 is the part I just told you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel. 1st Samuel is the ninth book of the Bible. 2nd Samuel is the 10th book of the Bible. Here's a great story. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised a little lamb and it grew up with his children. He ate from the man's plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrives at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, the rich man takes the poor man's lamb and kills it and prepares it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for, for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan, with a set of stones you wouldn't believe, 
what he says to David. You are that. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. Woo! I got all kinds of respect for that dude. Nathan's my hero. He was taking his life into his hands. But here's what happens. Okay, so 12 months David has been ignoring this, hasn't been confessing, hasn't been repenting. He's been stuck. Nathan walks in the door and David falls like a house of cards. Then David confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies, yes, but he has forgiven you. What? the heck happened? He's been stuck for 12 months. And one man walks in the door and has the guts to put the truth in his face and boom, the man falls. He repents immediately. And he gets himself right with God. A single story, one reproof, David reverses his unrepentant attitude, falls like a house of cards and admits his wrong. Is there something in that story that explains why David repented so fast? Yes, there is some things. We can look at the story. We can learn from it. We can clean for our own lives and figure out what we could do, what would help us if we are stuck. There certainly is something that would help us. And here's the first thing. Nathan's confrontation, his coaching, worked so well, first of all, because David was coachable. But there is a proverb that explains what must have been true in David's heart. One rebuke in David folds. Proverbs 17, 10 says, A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. A single rebuke was all it took for him to be shaken from his stupor. His character was teachable at its core, not arrogant, not cocky, and not know-it-all. You know, the uncoachable person uh, never takes responsibility. They blame their opponents, the officials, the weather, the conditions, the crowd, whatever it takes, but it's never their responsibility. You know, if Bathsheba hadn't been bathing where I could see her, this whole thing would have never happened. Uncoachable people avoid looking within. They're extremely sensitive. They don't take direction well. But David was coachable. He wasn't too arrogant or defensive to be taught. And if, if that's, that's one thing I want you to take with you today, is ask yourself, seriously, examine your heart and ask, am I coachable? Now, I believe there are a few other reasons why this went well for David. A spiritual coach was sent by God. Just look at verse 1 there in chapter 12 that we read. God sent Nathan. In fact, God gave Nathan the particular story that he was supposed to tell. I'm guessing that Nathan knew what had happened. I mean, come on. The whole nation probably knew what happened. I'm sure the word had traveled. It was obvious to see. But Nathan waits to be sent by God. Till God told him not only to go and confront David, but told him how. A good spiritual coach waits on God and doesn't get ahead of him. And Nathan is also very sure to perceive God's way, dutifully telling the story that God told him to tell. He's not afraid to confront the most powerful man in the nation. Why? Because Nathan was on a mission for God. And he did what was needed, not what was safe. 
That's what a spiritual coach will do for you. It won't all be comfortable. But when a prophet or spiritual coach is God sent, the words they carry are God's message. Those words are often hard to hear and very convicting. But I would like to submit to you that up to this point, Nathan hasn't been howling and nagging David. David, you got to deal with it. David, gotta, come on. You're not, you're not doing very good here. You got to get this thing right. This thing's wrong. No, it doesn't feel like that was true. Nathan waited to be sent by God. Another reason why this particular coaching event went so good for David was because the coaching was piercingly personal. If you look at this brilliant story, it was per perfectly prepared for who David was. The coaching was unique. It was personal. It, it cut, it seared, it penetrated all the way to David's heart because it was piercingly personal. David, once a shepherd of sheep, now was shepherding entire, shepherding entire nation of people he loved, his people, people that he was supposed to protect. That's why he's outraged when he's told the story. One of his people has been treated poorly. One of his people has been treated unjustly. Everything rolls up in David and his protected juices were flowing from a simple, fictional story that a spiritual coach told him specifically to help him see what he had done. The king was supposed to be just and be the protector of the defenseless. But this story tapped into the best of who David was and got David to condemn himself. Got it. It wasn't David, Nathan, that got him. It was Nathan's obedience that God used to get him. I believe that, this, that David responded to this coaching because it gave him some needed perspective. Remember, I was telling you about the swing, how much of your swing you can't really see because you blocked yourself from it. David needed some perspective. David, uh, I think he had never thought about what he'd done in the way that Nathan put it to him. I don't know about you, but I seldom confront myself with my own wrong. Usually, I defend it, explain it, sympathize with it, and otherwise hang on to it. I'm not really good at rebuking myself. I need somebody else to do that for me. Anybody relate to that at all? Anybody dare say yes to that? David needed perspective that helped him see in a way that demolished his excuses and his defenses and brought him some clarity in a way that tapped into his coachableness and led to repentance. Until he was told what his swing looked like to God, what David needed was a wise confrontation that melted and moved his heart. David didn't need to be told what he'd done was wrong. David needed to be confronted with it. A spiritual coach is willing to call sin, sin. They name it, they call it out, and they bless you with the truth. They bless you with the truth, even if the truth sucks. Even if it's difficult, even if it's hard to be heard. That doesn't give a spiritual coach the right to be mean, nasty, cruel, and rude. Didn't say that. When you make the truth personal with a clarifying perspective, it gives a coachable person, it gives them the best chance to wake up and do it about face. But an uncoachable person will struggle to respond even to God's correction. The gift a spiritual coach gives is a divinely inspired perspective to a coachable heart. That's a winning combination. Winning combination is the gift of divinely inspired perspective to a coachable heart. 
Now, if you read this story, you'll find out that both Nathan and God hold him to the consequences. This doesn't mean David didn't have consequences to what he'd done. It just means that Nathan was sure that David wasn't so crushed by the weight of what he'd done that he ended up in despair. God and Nathan extended God has sent David what is essentially a spiritual coach. Someone who did for David what Denbo did for Jeter, what my mentor did for me. I want you to remember this this morning as we close. It's all eyes on me for a minute. God could have left David right where he was in the mess he had made. But that is not Instead, God sends David the help he needed. God did not reject David. He did not abandon David. He went after David. And I want to say this to you all this morning. I want you to hear this clearly. He is pursuing every one of you, whether you know it or not. He is looking after you. He is coming for you. Because he loves you. Because he is not abandoning you. Wanting something better for you. Free coaching session. Ready for it? Free coaching session. I don't, I don't make an appointment for somebody when somebody else wants to make it for them. I can't tell you how many wives have called me up to make an appointment for their husbands. I never, never make it. The question you have to ask is, are you coaching? A coaching session never goes well when you come to see me because somebody else made you. You have to take the next step. If you're out there today and God is pursuing you, maybe today you know you need, you, your swing has got some, some ticks to it. Maybe you've been popping out all your life, popping out the shortstop. Maybe you've been slicing that thing left three fairways over all your life. Maybe you're stuck right now in something in your life that, that isn't what it should be. And you've been trying to analyze your own swing. You've been to the batting cage a zillion times, and all you do is you get worse. The people around you are hurting more. They're paying for your brokenness. And I just want to call you today. I want to give you the chance today to know that God is pursuing you, that he actually has a plan for your recovery. God had a plan for David's recovery, and he's got a plan for your recovery. It just may have to come through somebody else. Because you don't have the needed perspective to see what's going wrong in your own life. Nor do you know always how to make the changes even when you know. episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. I pray that God can use this training to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. 
If you are anywhere near upstate New York, specifically the Binghamton area, look Pastor Kerry up. He'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Remember, only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Thank you.